Hey y'all, this is Jessie too. Hi, this is Helen. And we are Asian Bitches Down Under. Hello everyone, great to be back again. Helen, how's mm-hmm. things? Not too bad, it's extremely cold this week. At least for yeah, my even though, even though the sun is out. Even Strange, though, hey? Yeah, that's true. The that's sun true. is yeah. really bright in Sydney, but in the shade outside of the <laughs> sun, direct sunlight, it is freezing. Terribly cold, Hey, yeah. can I ask you, which part of your body is like always cold, no matter what you do? My feet. Yeah, me too. What yeah. the what, what the, the hell is with our feet? feet? Yeah. Like right now, I have a pair of thick socks on, like woolen Kathmandu socks, uh-huh. and then like Ugg boots. And Helen, my feet still feel like frozen ice blocks. Yeah, it's really like, cold. What the hell? It's so weird. We have bad circulation. It's only eleven degrees this morning when I went out to walk yeah. the dogs. Oh my it's gosh, that's freezing crazy. cold. Well, yeah. the other day, my partner was up very early and he said it was at five degrees. Jesus Christ. I know. Uh-huh. Yeah, insane. Um, so, Helen, I um, just got back from the Sydney Writers Festival. Yes. I, I was in the audience. I was nice. listening to a fantastic talk by three geniuses um, about the art of book criticism. <laughs> and it was great. It was Your great. Profession. Um, yeah, um, part of my profession. They were talking kind of like the longevity of a book critic and they were sort of t- touching on the fact that they started the conversation off with the idea that um, in the past, mm-hmm. you know, two, three decades ago, um, book criticism could yes. be your full-time job. Whereas now these days, you know, a book critic is also a writer, is also a journalist, is also yeah. a com- commentator. You know, we, we have our p- hands in a lot of pies, yeah. fingers. And also nothing pays enough anymore. Oh, exactly. <laughs> so you have yeah. to do a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And I wonder if it's just an Australian thing or whether, you know, like I'm thinking I know for a fact that the New York Times have like full-time book critics. Yeah. So, you know, maybe it's just like where, it depends where you are in the world. But definitely I feel like, I mean, I, I continue to be blessed. I feel blessed by the fact that I get to be paid to comment on books, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, it's great. And the vibe was, I have to say, Helen was great. Like, um, so I was at the Carriage Works. So the Sydney Writers mm-hmm. Festival is happening this week and this weekend. Go check it out if you are in Sydney. Um, it is in Carriage Works, which is the same location as you know as the Australian Fashion, fashion week, week, which is yeah where I was last week. And I have to say, Helen, um, the vibe that I get this week being around like older people and literary people uh-uh. way more comfortable than around. <laughs> but but the thing is, this is really strange, right? Because you know how last week I was telling you how the fashion scene yes. is way more diverse and inclusive than the Australian publishing scene? You know how yes. I said that? Mm-hmm. However, however, today I felt more comfortable around, even though today I was surrounded by 60, um, plus 60 white people, mm-hmm. like people who are white people over 60, mostly. Mm. I still felt more like myself, not, I guess it's natural because I'm a writer, you know, I'm in that mm, scene. Mm. Um, but like, you know, you had, like today I saw people like sitting alone, having their lunch. Like it was very normal for that to, to be seen. Um, people seemed more like um, just walking around and, and, and like uh, nobody looked like models. I feel like I get very in, intimidated by people who look like very, very attractive. Mm-hmm. But literary people um, are so kind of like, I'm not saying they're ugly, but they're like very introverted. They're more like me and they're more interested in the mind rather than aesthetics, rather mm-hmm. than, you know, f- oh, like uh, rather than fashion, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying fashion people are not interior, but there's more <laughs> cerebral. Um, there's, there's more a respect about being cerebral in the literary community than the fashion. And so I felt so like, yeah, even though the Australian publishing industry is very white and very cis and straight and Today, I literally saw, like, maybe five people who were under the age of 50. Um, it, it oh, still my God, felt really? Like, it still felt very, like, I felt comfortable being around that crowd. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I have to say, like, year after year, I've been going to the Sydney Writers Festival since I was, like, 18. Um, it's always the same crowd, always white, always um, over 60. Um, and I think largely it's because, like, um, a lot of their events are during the day. And, and like, weekdays as well. Yeah, and exactly. And, like, yeah. but you and I, people our age, we have to work. So you That's get a right. lot of retirees coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But even during the weekend events, I feel, mm. last year when we went to your event, and I believe it was on a Saturday morning. Yeah. There yep. were yep. still more Mostly. senior people yes. than the younger yes. generations, I feel. and. Yep. What does that say about the people who actually read books? Yeah, and also, like, who has time, right? Who has time, yeah. Yeah. And also the choices of you you make to spend your free time. Exactly. I don't feel like exactly. there are a lot of people that spend time to Reading. read 
books. Yeah, I agree with you. There, it's just social media or fast media. Um, like TV, Netflix, or movies. Yeah, exactly. Just takes Nobody, over yeah. the time. I feel like you're you're so right. I feel like Helen, you and I are quite rare in that we're under like we're we're you know your Gen Z. Are you Gen Mil- Y? Millennial. <laughs> yeah, we're both millennials, and like um. I have to say, not a lot of people, even though I'm literary, even my closest friends who I would call them absolutely, like, kind of intelligent, mm. culturally on the pulse kind of citizens, I think I am still the person who reads the most. But I guess it's, like, probably because I am a book reviewer, so it's part of my job. Yeah, that's what you do. But I'd, Yeah, but I'd like to believe that even if I wasn't doing... Like, I feel like even before I got this gig at the age, um, I was still always reading something like Mm -hmm. I don't this might come across as a bit of an overshare but I don't really care um when I go to the bathroom to do a number two I never take my phone I always take a book oh do you yeah I always take a book I take neither (laughs) I don't want really what do you do I just sit there and do my business and get out of the bathroom are you serious (laughs) why would you take like no don't you take like 15 minutes I just (laughs) think like there's 15 minutes my digestive system is so good oh wow I love it okay well I take around average like 10 minutes 10 to 15 minutes and um I always just make use of that time to read something like, I don't care yeah. what it is. It's just I need a book because it just slows you down. I don't want – because, you know, generally when when we're going about our day-to-day lives, we're looking mm-hmm. at our phones and I just want I know. 10 minutes yeah. to just not think about anything about the world and just be lost in someone's pages. I, I, I understand. I can understand. But it's just so harmful nowadays with social media, TikTok, Instagram – videos you know just yeah you can pack so much information within the 30 second video than a 200 page book or something like that so younger generations will it's it's everything is like very fast paced now so you get mm. to the point very quickly therefore that tiktok videos like you know within three minutes you get oh, to understand yeah. so many things i mean yeah, i watch yeah. tiktok sometimes you know there's some um, yeah. funny stuff and philosophical talk that oh yeah they get to the point within 30 seconds you'll be amazed about the, their creativity right right but then yeah. again i don't know it is a bit sad because i get i get my friends who are parents of kids the similar age of my kids saying that oh how can i get my kids to read like they don't understand why their kids don't read i'm like and I maybe because you don't yeah i say well maybe you should start by your you know what you do is start reading and nowadays we just because it's very very like it's very easily to be hooked on social media i i do the same as well and it's hard when you have a device on your hand and you get so many choices of what app to open and Mm. so always instantly what attracts you the first yeah so social media or headlines that are usually sensationalized but with very little content are the one that attracts your brain very very fast it's like yeah um, fast food as well you know i'm very very suspicious and careful about who gets my attention um Mm -hmm. i think that i am very because i know my attention is now you know being capitalized at Mm. every moment of my life yeah i'm like i just like actively try and turn away from anything that looks kind of too flashy or too kind of over stimulus like Mm. i hate noise i hate loud quick things like tiktok is like the absolute opposite of everything i love about this world (laughs) um instagram is also the opposite of everything i love about this world like I'd like to think of myself as someone who likes to spend time thinking about something rather than like, rather than um, getting the sort of bullet point bullet points of a f- issue or a story in a mm-hmm. TikTok. You know, mm-hmm. um, I'd rather read a like f- three hundred book expose about uh, Elizabeth Holmes, Bad Blood. Um, every, if anyone hasn't read it, read, read it rather than like watch, like spend eight hours of my life watching Amanda Siegfried do <laughs> like do a, a do a low voice um, impersonation. You know, so it's like that you don't get all the beautiful nuances that John Carreau, Carreau um, is the guy who wrote the book, delivers in the book. There's just for me, there's more beauty in the written word 
than um, watching the visual something. performance. Yeah, I feel like um, often with visual stuff, and and you know, it's not saying at all that I just uh, you know I'm not discrediting film because film is probably up there with um, books with me in terms mm -hmm. of how much I value them. But uh, the other day I was at Billy and Kyle's place, and Kyle was reading through a bunch of great quotes, mm -hmm. and one of them he told me was one by Donna Tart. Um, and she said something about how um, reading a book means like you can access the soul of a human being in a way that you can't access through other mediums. And I just thought that okay, it was very beautiful. I, I, I might have the quote here in front of me, but um, mm -hmm. but yeah, it was just like, you know, like, I mean, I don't need to convince you, Helen, you read books, you know, why they matter so much, the why, what it gives you, you know, over other forms of mediums. Yeah, because it's a basic human communication it's what separates us than the rest of the animals in this world that we communicate through words and we communicate mm. through sentences and then people write books and then you mm. convey messages through that yeah so that's just a very fundamental of human being i guess yeah, yeah. and speaking of books helen you want to give a shout out to yes uh, a memoir which i reviewed I had the pleasure of reviewing last year. Oh, did you? Okay. Tell us, yeah, tell us what you what this title is and who wrote it and what you thought. So I read Muddy People by Sarah L. Said this week and I have to say it's such a pleasure to read a book that is just so... I'm not saying that it's simple, but it's so easy for me to read. I, I, mm. went, I finished this book within three days mm -hmm. and the language that she used is just on the same frequency as I do. So mm. you know how sometimes some writers just uses a lot of big words and complex sentences and long paragraphs and you don't understand where they're going to. Whereas Every white male writer ever. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Whereas Sarah, she just writes beautifully for the, yeah. you know, for the sake of just present what she had went through in her childhood and as an Egyptian Muslim moving to Queensland, the subtle, casual, even direct racism encounters from her friends and how her family struggles with a lot of cultural shock, the rules of her family had set upon the daughters, very similar to our family, I, yeah. And also, uh, I love how she always, uh, presented a lot of aspects of strong female roles in her life. Mm. Both her mother and her grandmother um, mm. both tell, told them that don't rely on men. <laughs> and, uh, which is true. Yeah, which is very true. Never, and ever, ever. I, I found, if you can, if you can. <laughs> and I found it interesting how um, I guess it, it must be a struggle for her to write a book like this as I don't know how she sees it, but I feel like it, maybe it's a process of healing for her because uh -huh. in the book we follow her through back and forth during her childhood and her present uh -huh. days. Uh -huh. um, so during her adulthood, she, she sounds like, in her book, she sounds like she was the only child who was looking after her dad during his chemotherapy. And, but at the same time, the childhood that she portrayed, she wrote, in the book was that didn't really sound like her dad treated her that well mm. um one part which i was really shocked was that there were a point that she was torn apart whether or not she should move with her dad to Cairns for a new job but then she decided to stay with her mom and let the um having the dad to travel to Cairns for a little while before that he settles down uh -huh. And because of that decision, I think she was like 16 or 15 at the time, because of her decision, um, her parents were having fights. And obviously, it's definitely not the children's fault of whoever that they chose. But her dad say to her that if your mother and I divorce, it will be your fault. When I read that, I'm like, yeah. I was thinking, gosh, why would Jesus. any parent say that to your kids? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then again... That's horrible. That is... That kind of horrible statement is not unfamiliar as well, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For yeah, yeah, yeah. the yeah, exactly. children Minor of child. immigrants. Yeah, because yeah, absolutely. a lot of those parents do not know how to express their emotions. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they would just 
throw their frustration directly to their children because they they have, they've got nowhere to go. Yeah. Yeah. But it's wow. yeah, it must be really hard for her. And when I read that, I was just like, oh, I I don't know. I just feel so sorry for her. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. she's a very young writer. Yeah. So I, I really yeah. yeah, appreciate these amazing really talented um so many great voices out there. Um mm-hmm. uh, you know, um people who are not white telling their stories and like doing it in such a beautiful way. Um mm-hmm. yeah, I'm I'm very buoyed by people like Sarah. Mm. Yeah, very inspiring. So the book is called Muddy People. I think it was only published last year, so it's relatively yes. new. So yes, yes. go and get it everyone. Highly recommended this book. And for another culture consumption this week, something a bit more lighter for my like. <laughs> it's just a recommendation popped up on my Netflix homepage. I'm I'm going to try my best Japanese pronunciation, but I'll probably okay, pronounce go, it wrong go. then. It's called Sumae Romae Novae. So Wait, it, now, now, now say it in Japanese. It is Japanese. I think that's how the Japanese pronounced it. And in the Anglo version. Okay. Yeah. So Sumo, okay. it's like Sumo Roman Rome Novae. I don't know what's Novae mean. Not quite sure what it means. But essentially, mm. it's about, it's an animation um, about a Roman bath architect. <laughs> who has been transported back and forth between the Rome and the modern Japan. So it's a bit mm-hmm. of like a time uh, travel and space story. travel yeah. story. And sometimes... How interesting. Yeah, it's quite... It's actually, I think it's more like a comedy where mm. he learns the Japanese bathhouse cultures and traditions. <laughs> and then he right, uses beautiful. what he learns back in Rome. Rome. Because the creator is a Japanese woman... But then the story that she's creating feel a bit like cultural appropriation where is like a Roman guy goes to Japan. <laughs> What's mm-hmm. so funny in the animation is that uh, he calls the Japanese because he has no concept of any other foreigner outside of Rome. So mm-hmm. when he sees someone who is so different to the, him, he calls them flat face. Okay, yes. <laughs> oh my yeah. gosh. And... It's a fun animation to watch because you learn a lot of uh, kind of like Japanese culture, their bathhouse traditions. And Mm -hmm, also mm -hmm. at the end of each episode, there's a clip of like three minutes of the animation curator visiting Japanese hot spring bathhouse. Mm -hmm. And each clip shows that some culture aspects of the location where the spring water was acquired from, some traditional ways to cool down the hot spring water. Uh, There's food and the architecture of the bathhouse, etc. Wow, this town's so niche. Yeah, it's very niche, but really makes me want to go to the Japanese bathhouse now, especially at this kind of weather. Well, um, you know in the Blue Mountains, apparently they have a very nice... There's a Japanese bathhouse. I haven't been. I haven't haven't either. We should do that. Yeah, we should do that. Yeah, for your birthday coming up. Um, speaking of Netflix, uh, I have been watching, thanks mm-hmm. to Billy, the... Um, the greatest know, I, human I being in the world. Exactly. <laughs> Every thank time you have to mention you. I don't have to fill it in. You <laughs> fill it in for me. Thank you. Um, he is watching The Staircase with Colin Firth and Tony Collette, the fictional dramatisation of, of course, the very infamous case of Michael Peterson and the death of... Slash murder, I believe. I, I, I really don't know, of um, Kathleen Peterson. Now, I'm on the fence about this because, like, as in I... My goal is to basically watch the 13-part documentary on Netflix before part. I do... 13-part, oh my goodness. Yeah, before I do the um the dramatisation with Colin Firth. But, yeah, I'm kind of hooked. Like, I always watch... Like, since maybe a week ago, I've been doing a bit every day, like, kind of yeah. watching 10 or 15 minutes or whole episodes of it. I'm still, like, not quite halfway there yet because it's so long what's really exquisite uh, helen are you a true crime fan oh really feel depends. like you are that much it really okay. depends i like things I, I don't know i'm not sure if it's called true crime but um yeah i enjoy genres like ocean's 11 or that sort of like oh, common okay. yeah, that is fraud <laughs> yeah 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 yeah, <laughs> well, malfeasance. Um, the dropout. Yeah, um, that's taken from Drew from Billy and B. 
Billy Andrews by the Pilot Club. Um, I don't think I mean compared to Billy, I'm like not a uh-huh. true crime fan. He he is like legit yeah. a true crime aficionado. I like to dabble in it every now and then, and this one is quite amazing in that it really like the documentarians follow follow the defense team like um mike peterson's Mm -hmm. team um the defense team really closely like we get full access into every single aspect of his trial like we even see him uh, while he's being coached by a witness coach so like they so is this the the dramatization or the actual documentary no this is a documentary no i have not so how do they get the rights to do that is that absolutely i I don't know wonder yeah i'm sure they had signed some Uh sort of agreement mike Mike peterson had signed something right to allow the documentarians full access to everything every Uh part of his journey and so basically um i should have said this earlier um mike peters i actually peterson i don't remember i think it was 2001 uh maybe at the end of 2001 he was um accused of Mm -hmm. murdering and I think he was then sentenced um, okay. to life in prison, murdering his wife, Kathleen Peterson. And she, uh, But he said his claim was that she mm. fell down the stairs. So that's hence the call of the staircase. Yeah. Um, but what transpires is the fact that um, maybe 20 years prior, 17 years prior, um, one of Mike Peterson's friends, a woman, um, who they said established that they, well, so far had established that they didn't have a, a sexual relationship um, she also died the same way, like she mm-hmm. fell off the stairs, mm-hmm. fell down the stairs. And so um, this uh, story follows the trial of Mike Peterson trying to prove mm-hmm. his innocence, basically. Um, and uh, we follow them to an extraordinary degree and length. And it's so fascinating to see like how lawyers do their stuff. And it's just exquisite. Like the behind the scenes is absolutely like you feel like mm-hmm. a fly in the wall. Um, and the editing is exquisite. The day before the trial, the, his lawyer is telling Mike to, like, sh- trim his eyebrows, make sure he um, shaves, you know, and make sure he wears a suit and just, like, the sort of degree of attention paid to um, him. And, you know, his lawyer is saying um, the, the jury is going to interrogate every single move mm. that you make. So, you know, don't stare at them because then it'll look like you're trying to solicit them. He just had to play. In the courtroom, you have to mm. play a part. You know, and if you're being convicted, you have to pretend, you have to show, like, you have to play a role, you know, you have to act like the innocent man being put on trial. It's almost like you have to be a Um, performer or an actor. Oh, yeah. You know what I, you know what I think, Helen? The courtroom is just another theatre. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I think so too. It's just another um, stage. Uh Uh-huh. It's so, everything is drama, every time, everything about the courtroom is theatrical. Yeah. The barrister, the attorney, the judge, um, everything, everything and everyone in the courtroom is um, a theatrical uh, member of a mm. trying to convince um, the jury of their story. Yeah, it's, because it's however amazing, that yeah. you perform in that act, you're clearly going to be scrutinized by media. Exactly. And exactly. media plays such a big part and holds yeah. a very big power i think yeah yeah and and what's different about the u.s and here in australia helen is that i'm i believe in the u.s you can have media does have access into the courtroom mm. whereas in australia i uh, i think all courtrooms are open i'm pretty sure they're all open to the public but like some you can't have cameras inside whereas in this yeah yeah whereas in america like for instance i mean you know very contemporaneously um as in right now um we're seeing amber heard and johnny depp you I know, know. Their child. it's oh being streamed goodness. on youtube every day it's, it's ridiculous it's such a waste of it's um, takes it's takes incredible. payers money it is isn't it and it also is. it's insane. everyone's energy and time i mean i don't follow it I, I, I try not to. Yeah, I don't follow it. I can't. It. I mean, but then when I see much. the other people, the OP, OPED coming up, I'm like, yeah. why I mean, the fuck are we wasting time on this? Everyone is anti Amber Heard and pro Johnny <sighs> Depp, it appears to be. I don't care. I mean, I Chris just, Rock the other yeah. day, you know, it, you know, Chris Rock did a bit in London where he was like, believe all women except Amber Heard. Oh my God, yeah. I don't know what to say about that. Their, their, oh yeah, their we, problem, we don't have I, to go into. I, I, yeah. I don't know either because I don't know the. I don't want to know. <laughs> I 
don't. Yeah, it's just it's too <laughs> so messy. I I can't invest myself in yeah. it. That I only have a limited amount of cognitive energy. You know, mm, yeah. like you. Yeah, true. Yeah, and, well, and you finally, invest I want something to... that's more positive for now. Yeah, exactly. Speaking of positivity, um, I want to end our control consumption segment mm-hmm. with a mention of Taylor Swift's commencement speech at NYU's yes. graduating class of 2022. Um, and uh, it was great. Where she see. has been given a doctorate Honorary on, doctorate yeah, degree, yeah. Of, of and I was arts. like, when I, made the cons- when I made the commencement speech last two weeks yes. ago at my alma mater, I was, like, I was like to my partner, where's my honorary degree? <laughs> Obviously, I'm not uh, special enough to get one. No, but uh, Taylor made a very... I read... I actually read it instead of listening to oh, it. Oh, did you? I read the transcript okay. of uh-huh. her. I, I watched bits of it, but it's just faster reading through it. Um, her commencement speech to the class of NYU. NYU, they, their graduating hall was at Yankee Stadium. Hello. Yeah, they have Which enough. is insane. <laughs> I mean, NYU is a... Oh, God, yeah, no, enough money as well. Um NYU is just, you know, I don't know if NYU is a, is a one of the Ivy Leagues. I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah, um, I think so. I think it is. Yeah, but uh, Taylor Swift parted a, a bunch of interesting and I think useful advice. Um, I, I think the main thing I really liked about what she said, she spoke for about 25 minutes, much longer than my seven-minute <laughs> limit. Um, but she was, like, um, saying how she doesn't like giving advice if it's not asked for because when she was younger, she was often the youngest person in the room and, like, she would get media people, uh, you know, people older in the industry. Older people music. telling her what yeah, to do. Yeah, older people telling her how to yeah. do things. And she and then when she made a mistake, she was like, oh, you, it's the end of your career, shit like that. And she – so she was kind of like, um, don't listen to advice kind of thing, which I really like because I'm also, like, someone who – you know, is like very anti, anti advice. But that was one thing that she said that was great. She said, um, don't be afraid of your mistakes. These mistakes will cause you to lose things. A lot of the times when we lose things, we gain things too, um, which I think was a really good conclusion. What Another part I want to mention before I finish this segment is um, when she said, um, she said, I'll quote her here. She said, I'm a big advocate for not hiding your enthusiasm for things. It seems to me that there is a false stigma around eagerness in our culture of unbothered ambivalence. This outlook perpetuates the idea that it's not cool to want it. That people who don't try hard are fundamentally more chic than people who do. And I wouldn't know because I have a lot of things, but I've never been an expert on chic. But I'm the one up who's up here, so you have to listen to me when I say this. Never be ashamed of trying. Effortlessness is a myth. I think that's beautiful. And then she goes on to say, the people who wanted it the least were the ones I wanted to date and be friends with in high school. The people who want it the most are the people I now hire to work for my company. I think that was really beautiful. Like I, I like that because I feel like when you're younger, um, I, I remember for most of my life even, like I was attracted to cool people and cool people were the ones who just like yeah, the cool whatever. guys were the ones who just we never tried. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They were just like slouching. They had their hands inside their pockets. Yeah. They smoked cigarettes. They were like cool like that, yeah. you know? Um, they had a way with them and it was, I always thought they're cool. And I always thought to myself, why were, why are these people cool to me? And it's cause like they are so um, chillaxed. They don't, they don't want anything. They're like pretty like mm, blase, you know? Um, but but I'm the opposite of that. I'm like, I'm the most eager person on the table, always wanting to know stuff about other people. Like, I don't know how to do cool because I'm too curious about other people. Like, cool people tend to be kind of like, they're, they're the people at the dinner table or at the party who's in the corner and just like kind of letting people talk around them and just making one remark and like not asking questions mm-hmm. of the people around them. Mm-hmm. They're like the people who seem to have the least energy. Um, but I'm just like, no, uh, I'm like super naturally just too, too eager and engage, wanting to engage with people and curious that, um, yeah, like Taylor Swift's um, a device about being effortless is so great. It really resonated with me. I think also cool people tend to be the one who are very self-centered. They don't really care about other people. That's why... And also externally, they're already very entitled to certain aesthetic standard that attracts other oh, people exactly. towards exactly. them. 
that's yeah, why so they don't, they need, don't to. need to go and mm-hmm. approach others. You know, people attracted attracts to people attract to them for the sake that they feel like they have more social capital to just be the center of themselves. That's it, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so well, let's take a break, and when we come back, we are going to delve into our first topic of this week. Um, yeah, how how long do you exercise every week? And if you're in a heterosexual couple, who exercise more? We we'll that. Okay, so we're back. Um, so last week, I was reading some articles online, and he came across to me. An article titled "Men Take Time from Female Partners for Exercise." So this uh, study conducted by Australian mm-hmm. National Uver- University, which drawn data from the Household Income and Labor Dynamics in Australia study, in Australia survey, which has information from seven thousand households made up of heterosexual couples aged twenty-five to age twenty uh, forty sixty-four. Um, I don't know why. Okay. Like I hate this kind of database because they never do household with same-sex couples. Um, anyway, so yeah. the result shows how detrimental that heterosexual relationships are. Probably worse than a lot of same-sex couples. But everyone knows that already. Yes, and the result is that women were less physically active than men. Twenty-eight six point. Twenty-eight point six percent of women reported doing three moderate or intensive physical activities for at least thirty minutes a week, compared to thirty-four percent of men. Interesting. And that the woman's、uh, physical activity drop when either pay or family work increase. With increased pay or family work, women reported a six percent point decrease in physical activities, whereas men just have a two percent point decrease. Yeah. So, have you thought about exercising? And I, we all know that what, the reason behind this is that men will probably prioritize exercise over housework,、yeah. and when time spent on family appears to be flexible and able to incorporate to accommodate physical activity, that men usually would take their chance to do it. Whereas females, they are more concerned about domestic work, and they will probably take up more work、um, when no one's doing it. What's your? What do you think? Well, I guess focusing on the study, it seems to me to reflect the general consensus、mm. and reflect history that women, social history, that women just tend to. Not prioritize their own needs. Yes. Like it's you know and 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 physical exercise for yourself is something that, you know,、um, I think that you know we all put that on a list, right?、Mm-hmm. But maybe、um, w- women, because we're socialized to put others in front of us,、mm. and you know to to prioritize others' needs over our own. Exercise for oneself kind of becomes lower and lower on the list,、mm-hmm. and whereas like for men, it's like easier to say, "Hi,、hey, I'm doing this for myself." I, they, I mean, they live in a world where it's built for them, so it's just natural and easier for them to to say to 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 prioritize or to like put that thing,、mm-hmm. which is we're now talking about exercise, exercise um on the top of their list、yes. and not feel bad about it. You know,、mm-hmm. um, I know for. For for myself, um, not for myself. I know that with a lot, of, like what I've seen with、uh, immigrant families, is you know our parents' generation. I've heard this sentiment a lot that these, uh, women who came from cultures outside of Australia, they were taught doing anything for yourself is selfish. Oh yeah, yeah, there's、know? a saying about that. And it's something that, that I don't. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna name anyone specifically, but there are a lot of women who can't seem to ever let go of the fact that um. And, you know this niggling belief,、mm-hmm. self belief that, um, and it's taught to them. It's、uh, basically taught to them by patriarchy that um, if you do something for yourself, you're being selfish.、Mm-hmm. You know, I feel conflicted about this because I love how, I love seeing that younger women now are like saying, "Hey, no, I'm, I'm gonna, you know, take one hour off
home time this Wednesday to go swimming self-care. and do laps by myself. You know, self-care. self-care. <laughs> but, but, but then they're like, but then those people usually are white and they can hire a nanny to look after their kids, mm. you know. So like exercise and self-care um, is also an economic issue exactly you know, who is allowed yeah. to take time from child caring and minding and, and when they're hiring someone else then, there will usually be another woman who's yeah exactly you know yeah, their, their time exactly. is being used it's not another man yeah. who's caring exactly. their kids you know it's not their husband it's not their partner it's mm. someone else who is a female yeah another female's time's been taken away yeah exactly. um so in the study there's a quote here i'm going to read out it says that when men have a job they reduce the time they spend at home on care when women have a job they don't this means that men's job actually buy them out of family work and it shifts time onto women women were taking up extra work to free their partners to earn an income and be healthy in doing so women are cutting back on their own health so it's like what you said that woman hasn't been really taught to prioritize their own health but also there are uh, in the study it also explains that the problem is more of a structural issue than individual as the current system causes men into long hour jobs and women are focused to support that system i'm not quite sure about this because um, like I acknowledge that I'm in a privileged position that I can work from home and on a flexible basis. So therefore, mm. like in our household, I do take a bit more share of domestic chores, right? And also the childcare and the dog care. But however, like compared to my husband, I feel like I do more exercise, <laughs> like even during the period of lockdown or when mm. he's working from home. Sometimes I feel like it's a personal choice, um, mm. not really of a structural choice um, because I, I do contribute as much. I, I think, like, personally, I think I contribute to the society as much as him. And mm-hmm. on the personal level, the, uh, the time I spend on exercise is far more than him That because of my personal choices, because of how I arrange the time. And maybe you enjoy exercise I do I do I actually I actually really love it and I can't imagine going a day like it's rare for me not to every day at least do like a half an hour to an hour of some form of physical activity Mm. like that could be as easy as like going for a walk yeah like I really need that I know a lot of some people for some people they don't need that but Mm. for me I just and it's not really like a weight thing either. Um, I feel just like a slob if I just stay at home all day. Yeah. I feel like... I think if like, you, when, once, once you like, get into a routine, like every day, yeah. like I do exercise 7am in the morning and you get into oh, a... <laughs> if you get into a routine, your body will just tell you that you have to get up on that time. But, yeah, I love yeah. moving. And like I've been... I've switched in the last few days to from doing um yoga to doing like home bar workouts Mm -hmm. because like i have like this bench top now i can use as a bar and um, it's a lot of fun like it's a way more intense workout but i really like it Mm. i think you just have to really prioritize your own health to exercise if you can if you can yeah of course so the study also found that it is likely that non-binary, non-heterosexual couples are likely to negotiate time use exchange differently within the household. But then I don't understand that if negotiation can happen within the non-heterosexual couples, why aren't heterosexual couples doing the negotiation too? I feel... Because one's a man <laughs> and one's a woman. And there's a lot of historical politics to that. That's true, yeah. It's it's really systematic, you know, detrimental gender stereotype of roles within the household, and perhaps some man just refuses to give up the entitlement, you know, which would to them disturbs the gender equality or something like that. And also, I guess, like when we're talking about exercise, um, we are in the conversation, and I'm like being, I'm taking this next point out of context mm-hmm. because I'm just kind of thinking more globally, yes. I guess. But I remember when I was in the Solomon Islands, there was no concept of exercise. It's just physical work. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like everyone's, um, a lot of people were farm workers or like Mm laborers. And so that, yeah. So the idea of like going for a run, like I used to, when I was in the Solomon Islands, I used to go for like three or four hour runs because I was so fucking depressed there. (laughs) Um, Just to get away from my awful place of residence. 
um, it was not the people, it was actually the Aussies I was staying with. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, I really needed to just like run mm. and writing has always been so liberating emotionally, psychically, physically for me. And like when I was running, Helen, um, people were astonished and completely confused. They're like, why the fuck are you running? <laughs> like they didn't say fuck, but they were like, running? What? And like, what I would you be stared at. From? And, yeah, <laughs> I would be stared, exactly. I would be stared at and gorgled and like, you know, people would just like give me the fucking weirdest look when I ran. <laughs> like, and I didn't even, I wasn't in Honiara. I wasn't in the capital. I was like in, I was on the Alki Island. Yeah. Six hour ferry ride. Worst ferry, worst six hours of my life. To an island called Alki and, and I was in a little village. And so like I was running through t- like very scarce scarcely populated villages mm. and people just had like what, why is that woman running it was yeah. just so weird for them must be um, they don't have a concept of exercise yeah running yeah, as an exercise running yeah. for them will be something different like you're running away from some sort yeah, of exactly. danger yeah, or, yeah. and it kind yeah. of made me think yeah like it's just it, it really made me i guess calibrate calibrate my idea of the differences we all live the different life experiences we all have, but like the idea of exercise being something that only you know, privileged white economies, uh-huh. yeah. um, the citizens of these societies get to get to coin and practice. And I, when I was um, sharing this article on our Instagram last week, I actually got a DM from our follower. This person said that not necessary happens in the relationship. But within some families, for example, their family, boys are not asked to do chores whereas girls do. So the boys are given like sports or exercise as prioritized over doing chores. So how a family function and delegate chores have an impact in future gender roles as well, I think. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I remember yeah. growing up doing the dishes almost every night and when the time comes yeah. when the rest of the siblings are being delegated to do it, I always feel like no one else is doing it at the given time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, do you feel like in the last few years your relationship to exercise has changed? Uh, at least for since COVID, I think. I've mm. become, I became more regular on mm. my exercise routine. That's because I've got an app and I pay for it. And like, I don't yeah. want to waste the money. It's, it's almost like yeah. you're paying for a gym membership, but then gym membership, you have to drive there. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's exactly. a bit troublesome. But when you have an app at home, there's no excuses not to do it. Yeah. yeah, I um, I've I've just become a YouTube junkie. Oh. And I just do all my classes on YouTube because there's so many amazing classes yes. on YouTube. Yeah, right? that's true. And I get exactly the same workout as if I paid like fifty dollars a week uh-huh. at the local at the white woman, like <laughs> pristine, like tiled glass bathroomed Pilates um, Pilates studio. You know, um, but I do have to say I really, I love like if I if I. If I if it meant that much to me, I would pay for it because I really love um being in a room full of women, mm. and even though we're doing something to like trim our bodies and yeah, it can be seen as just like optimizing ourselves. I've my favorite thing to do on a Monday or a Tuesday night is to go to one of these Pilates studios, or a bar studio in the inner west of Sydney, and like just work out with other women, and it feels like such a great way to start the week for me. Mm. Like I love it. It just it gives me so much endorphins to be surrounded by like 10 to 15 women like often mothers you know young people in their 20s 30s but sometimes in their 40s 50s and 60s oh, as that's well nice. it's yeah, just great just i really love it. and like i'm yeah and i don't talk to them you know we just smile you know we just smile at each other and then we get on you know we start the class and get on with it i do miss like i do like being in a class like I, I feel like sometimes even more like I work harder when I'm around other women oh yeah maybe because I'm like oh competitive as well. <laughs> you know oh I've got to raise my leg higher than that woman in front of me <laughs> so it's kind of fucked up as well okay so um we're gonna take a quick break now and when we come back there's another article that I would like to share and it's about gender roles as well we'll be right back 
Okay, so we're back. So con to continue from the previous study, we arrive at another relative discussion. This one is the New York Post article titled Menemio Man Wants 1950s Housewife After They Have Kids. Um, I don't really think it's only the millennials. I feel like the men across the multiple generations who would prefer a wife that is just submissive and obedient as a <laughs> typical 1950s housewife. And so the, in this article, the writers wrote about how women are increasingly becoming the breadwinner, if not the equal earner of the family. And the writer referenced a book called Ambitious Like a Mother by Lara Bezalon. So that is a conviction that work-life balance doesn't always work for many mothers. And working mothers' children are as well as uh, adjusted and have no more behavioral problems than other uh, kids. So even without decades of feminism movement, I feel like that the amount of domestic work continues to be the same or maybe more for this generation of women. I think the reason be is that especially when a woman becomes a mother, that the childcare uh, still, you know, most likely to end up on the, the females, you know, the mothers or the grandmothers. Mm. Uh, so according to this study that 75% of the mums, the ones who assume responsibility for appointments like children's checkups, uh, school events, they are also four times more likely than their partners to miss work for taking uh, their kids to see a doctor. And the statistics that have become all too clear during COVID pandemic, even in the normal times that women spend approximately two hours more per day tending to domestic work than their partners. What do you see? What do you see around you, Jess? Oh, um, like, uh, do I see the same trends around me? Yeah. I, I think generally... It's 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 probably I'd say yes, but um, but then again, like I don't, I'm not around a lot of um, families. Mm. Like I'm mostly most of my friends are unmarried without kids. Yeah, that's true. Um, but it, yeah, like like the same kind when of the, the stories that you hear that I was making before about the exercise. Yeah, like um, it just does naturally fall to women. Mm. Um, I, I I've seen that everywhere. The do families that I do hang around with that tends to be the case, um, and it just like kind of makes me eye roll and think, Jesus, like things are never going to change. Honestly, mm -hmm. um, I honestly just I'm not optimistic about things changing anytime soon. Uh, you know, when it comes to these things that you've just listed, uh, and it's really depressing. It's really depressing. Mm. I don't know if it's going to be subjective with different relationship. I, sometimes it's hard for me to talk about this kind of news or articles or studies with my husband because he thinks that I'm personally attacking him but I'm not <laughs> because not I know really. that he does a lot you know within our own relationship and but when I talk about my talk to talk to my friend about it and they say oh yeah I, I kind of just endure it you know because yeah. yeah. um there's a lot of complexities with other relationships as well. Some people say that, oh, I don't, I, I don't like the way that my husband does the, the laundry. I don't like the way that he puts away the dishes and might as well, I'll just do it myself. Yeah. Um, yeah. I might just do yeah. it myself. That's, that's Perfectionism. Yeah, that's uh, the, the answer that I get from a lot of people, a lot of women just saying that, um, you know, I have to clean up after him. Might as well, I'll just do it mm. myself. You know, mm, and mm, mm. I guess well, that's a control thing. Yeah, right? I think that's a that's a bit of a control yeah, thing. I and think it's not yeah, easy. Yeah. I mean, you've told me that, Helen, about some other aspect which we won't go into. <laughs> but you've told me that, yeah. <laughs> um. So on the article, he also said that for those men who are not willing to pick up their share of domestic work, many end up in breakups and divorce. According to a 2015 study by the American Sociological Association, women initial 69% of divorce and among college educated women, it's 90%. I think wow. when you're highly, highly educated, you're more assertive about your position and what you want in life. It's like, yeah. I, I don't think, I don't know if that's true, 
because I know that mm. um, education might not be the reason that they w- just the woman just want to stand up for herself. Oh well, she has more power because if you're oh, educated, possibly. you have more yeah. like you have more economic um, power. You have more economic means mm. to actually have any agency to create a life where you don't have to, you know, rely on the guy. You know. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So, to our listeners, I don't know what you think, but does that, you know, how, how does this resonate with your life? You with know? you, yeah. yeah. I nice. would love to hear your impressions and ideas. Yeah. Shout out at us, uh, DM. We want to hear your views. Because I know that there are a lot of women out there who are just so unsatisfied about their own relationship, about, of very, very little thing, you know, like, Mm. domestic chores you it might not seem as a major problem within a relationship but it does build up Mm. okay so before we go i just want to remind our listeners that we are seeking feedbacks from our listeners and we are gathering some information and of what sort of topics you are like you are most interesting and in return we're giving away a copy of G. Harkin's Beast of Little Land. So for your chance to win, please follow the link which I will have on our show notes and complete the survey. Um, and then go to our Instagram or Facebook uh, page where you will see a post about the giveaway, comment and post. You'll be in the draw to win the book. Or alternatively... Yeah, we have <laughs> we have amazing gifts coming up as well, giveaways. Yes, yeah, in, Stay the, tuned. in the very near future, yeah. Um, so if you found that a bit troublesome, I don't know why I set it up like that. Just leave your name at the end of the survey and you'll be in the draw to win the book. So that's the end of our episode. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Google and Apple and give us a five-star rating. You would like to, If you would like to support what we do here at Asian Bitches Down Under, head to our Buy Me Coffee page to make a donation for us to continue the intersectionality in the podcast industry so that's it for this week and we'll chat to you next time bye bye